0: so like obviously you want to back up your pictures but maybe maybe we don't take those naked pictures right now during the podcast you know <laughs> welcome to uh montreal sauce if you're uh, listening live hi you look really attractive today um and if you're uh not listening live uh I'm really sorry that some prankster on BitTorrent has labeled our show "Taylor Swift Shake It off, .dot MP3," <laughs> um, but you know, you technically you really shouldn't be downloading music from BitTorrent. But the more grievous act is that you're downloading Taylor Swift. It's so, true. Anyway, <clears throat> if you're interested in listening live and you're not, uh, we do this every other Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. So uh, that's, let's see, today we're recording, if you're listening to a recording, it is September 4th, so the next show would be uh, 7-18. Yes. September 18th. September 18th. And uh, yes, today is our uh, back-to-school special because it's September. (laughs) And so our guest is my uh, much more attractive half, uh, better half, is Colette. Say hi to everyone, Colette.
1: Hello. Um,
0: since you probably haven't heard the show before, no, waving doesn't work. They can't see you. Oh. <laughs> um, since you haven't heard the show before, we're, uh, well, I'm not very, yeah, um, <laughs> that is funny, isn't it? I'm not very um, host like. Um, I'm kind of lazy. So I typically just let the guest introduce themselves. So what do you do?
1: Hi, my name is Colette. And I'm, is that this meeting?
0: No, that's a different meeting. I'm a teacher. (laughs) You're a teacher? Ah, okay.
1: And your wife.
0: And my wife. (laughs) Listed in that order. Nice to meet you.
1: In September, it's in that order. (laughs) This
0: is true. (laughs) This is very true. Yes. Um, So. Buttons. Yes, good job. I knew that was coming because we're married. (laughs) uh recently on twitter i have to say i don't think we mentioned this on the show yet before but uh recently um we had a little poll on the montreal sauce twitter account and hey why aren't you following that uh listener because you know you should because SauceBot works really hard our little social media robot <laughs> that's true um so but recently we had a little poll to try to figure out what our fans are called and since uh the end of the poll it turns out that fans would like to be called sausages <laughs> nice
2: <laughs> so say hello to all the sausages
1: <laughs> but i'm a vegetarian <laughs> yeah.
2: does that make every uh, does that make the chat room a sausage fest just by default <laughs> it does
1: actually that was covered
2: in
0: the, in the twitter uh yes that was which is funny because it's me and like the chan server bot <laughs> I
1: don't have a link to it.
0: No. Did you? You're not on the live page, are you? Because mm. that'll make a lot of noise.
1: So oh, don't push the live page. If
0: you do, pause it.
2: And yes. You're the live oh. Yeah. <laughs> and then
0: in the chat room. No, this is good. These things that we have to learn. So yes, Colette is a grade two teacher uh, here in Edmonton, but also. Um, she is sort of like a technology guru leader type person who goes to all sorts of conferences and things like that, right? Or is uh, that just to get away from me?
1: <laughs> um, I, I don't know about the guru part. I'm an experimenter, an explorer, and uh, like to go to conferences. So, yeah, I use technology in the classroom quite a bit and have gone to a number of ed tech conferences as well as... Um, Sessions offered within my public school district throughout the year as well, sort of sort of mini conferences just locally.
0: And uh, recently we went to Calgary so you could actually present. She did three different presentations. Uh, what was the what was this? I don't I never get the name. Is it the GAF Summit or is it Google Ad Tech? I don't What is it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's GAF or GAFE. They're both different uh, pronunciations for the same thing. It stands for Google Apps for Education. And the summit is actually run by a company called EdTech Team. And they do summits around the world. um, And they focus on Google Apps for Education. But they're not actually a Google company themselves. And yeah, so I went from uh, an attendee to being a presenter and did the newbie error of actually presenting three times, which (laughs) was a little excessive. So I think one or two is uh, more than sufficient, especially if you're doing three different topics. It was a little crazy, but it was a good experience. I'd rather do that in August when I'm not teaching as well. That would have been super insane. yeah. Yeah, it was a good experience. It was a nice smaller group because it was August and people are still on holidays. And it was in a different city, so I could uh, afford to make any errors in front of people I didn't know.
0: So what do you guys do with these uh, Google apps for education? Like, Do you just discuss Google products or
1: yeah they talk about education in general but the so they usually have it's a two-day summit and each day starts with a keynote and usually the keynotes address sort of the bigger blue sky thinking around uh, education and technology and and 21st century learning in general and how technology facilitates that um and then they have breakout sessions sort of workshops and those can range from just sort of a lecture on sort of the pedagogy or the reasons to go um, into more technology based or often there'll be working sessions where people get their chromebooks out and their you no, know, not uh, yeah laptops ipads and tablets aren't great for that stuff usually but and you get to play and try things out. And I would say about 90% of the topics for workshops are going to be Google products, but not all of them are. Yeah. And then the day ends, the first day usually ends with something called a demo slam, where people have three minutes to share an app, an extension, or some kind of cool thing they've learned. And they have three minutes to demonstrate it. Um, usually if it's something that people haven't heard before or it's fairly new, it, cutting edge. And then the participants vote on whose demo slam was the most convincing. And then they get bragging rights. And then the second date ends with a keynote. Again, it's just kind of a, a blue sky thinking kind of thing. And that's kind of it.
0: Cool. There, uh, One of the interesting things about uh, our little adventure um, when we went... Well, she went to this. They tried to get me in.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they offered to hook them up.
0: (laughs) But um, one of the interesting things is uh, we had just purchased Colette a new Chromebook um, so that she could practice what she preaches. Um, And uh, when we went there, I just grabbed an HDMI cable because it's a Chromebook and it only has HDMI out and i was like oh that's interesting but makes sense because it's so small and i was just like thinking you know i'm sure um most projectors nowadays have an in but you know schools don't exactly have a lot of money to get equipment all the time so
1: it's not cutting edge projectors (laughs) yeah
2: right yeah
0: so i was a little nervous so i have uh i also have a HDMI to DVI cable laying around. So I grabbed that and threw it in the bag as well. And so I actually went in the first day to like help her make sure she was going to get all set up. And uh, one of the people like running the conference, yeah, they, they, uh, we said, you know, can I just go in and make sure it works? And she said, ah, you know what? I'll just give you a computer.
1: Yeah. Um, We all had to bring our own dongles to connect our computers to projectors. And of course, I, again, another probably newbie error. (laughs) (laughs) I'd bring a brand new piece of technology with me to my very first presenting conference. And, um, she, her experience was the Chromebooks didn't have enough power to run off a USB, um, output. Oh, okay. Maybe it was HDMI. And, uh, so she just said for, you know, to keep things easier, she just lent me one of the school Macs and lent me a dongle. And, um, yeah so Chris and I wondered though mine has a higher processing speed that maybe it would have been able to handle it, but again didn't want to take the chance, so we just kind of borrowed hers
0: yeah, I'm really curious because um I don't understand you know the nature of like what the problem is, like you know, I don't understand where the Chromebook would have problems uh, feeding a
2: projector, but yeah, you know- if it's got an hDMI output on it. I, yeah, it's going to be able to drive it. So
0: Yeah, but then anyway, I was like, so what does she mean, like, they don't have enough power? Because anyway, the Chromebook that I managed to snag for Colette when I was recently in the States visiting Nepal um, is the very first Core i3 Chromebook. So
2: Ah, okay.
0: So it's got some horsepower.
1: Yeah, and I just yeah. actually saw on Google+, Plus um, um, someone within my district was commenting on Dongle's just today. So I've um, favorited that to follow up a recommendation on that.
0: Excellent.
1: It's like saying dongle.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So what were uh, the like, was there a theme of this year's conference? Uh, And then separately from that, what were your specific speaking topics topics about?
1: Um, Good question. I don't know if there was a, Uh, theme specifically, one of the new things that they were focusing on is they um, gamified the summit. So gamification of education Mm. is sort of a movement going on right now. And in Division 1, you know, K-3, (laughs) to education's been gamified for a while. We teach a lot through play already. But The digital gamification doesn't really, I don't see that a lot of applications yet in Mm -hmm. um, grade two. So I haven't really followed that trend. But what they did is um, they had badges at the summit. So presenters were asked to think about a task that we could ask our participants to do um, by the end of our session. And if they did them, then we had these stickers that we could give them. And they, the conference, one of the things that they do is they have presenters identify what level of skill, um, your topic is. So is it just getting going? Is it gearing up or is it getting geeky and more technical? Mm. And so they had badges related to those three levels. So you could try to earn all three badges. So that wasn't so much a theme, but maybe a bit of a unifying topic throughout, um, The topics that I presented on, uh, the first one I did was, um, how I use the Google products to, um, make my own teaching devices. So how, you know, I use them, make my own videos. Um, I use them to make digital eBooks in a sense, and sort of talked about some of those things. And the reason. One of the reasons for doing that is the more you use a product, right, the more you're able to understand how it works and then problem solve in a classroom setting when the kids start to use it. Yeah. You know, the more experience you have, I find. so. And plus there's other applications. Um, So that was the first session I did. The second one I did was sort of the flip side of that is how I use the Google Apps for Education with students specifically and, and what students produce using Using that, and I just gave some examples working with younger students, and then the third session was kind of a deep dive, if you will, into an example of using one of the examples I had given, and I I did um, I use Google Apps, Google Documents specifically Mm -hmm. for problem solving with students. And I use an application called Read and Write for Google that allows the document to be read to students who might have difficulty in reading. So it takes the reading aspect out and just lets them focus on the math. And it's all online.
2: Oh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. So those sort of were my three sessions.
2: Yeah. I would think that there is, especially at the younger age, kind of a barrier there because so much of what you need to use a computer for is so contingent on knowing how to read and being pretty literate um, to kind of get the mo- get real utility out of a lo- out of a lot of it. I mean, I know for my for my girls who are three and one, there's lots of like pictograph kinds of software, but mm-hmm. to to turn that into something where they're doing their homework or being productive, um, they also have to do a lot of learning to read, right, to get to that stage.
1: Yeah. And, uh, there's a lot of schools that are moving to something called one-to-one where every student has a device of some kind. So a one-to-one situation in kindergarten to grade three is often an iPad. And then you would get a higher use of, um, technology integration because of the apps that allow for, you know, the pictograph as well as the, the visual literacy. But Um, what I find is there's a lot of digital literacy that we still need to teach and digital citizenship that goes into it as well. So that, that sometimes gets, um, skipped over. Um, and I was giving a story to Chris, uh, today that I think we need to teach adults and teachers it sometimes too, you know, the think before you post idea. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, A teacher friend of mine posted, um, that Betty White had died and, a lot of the comments were like, "Oh, you know you need to check your sources." And her response was, "Well, this is an example of sharing to read later instead of bookmarking to read later, the sort of trend of I'll share it, but I haven't actually read it all, so it's kind of to remind me to read it as well. Oh and, yeah you know we''m seeing we're seeing that it, it, with adults, you know, what's going to be in store for our kids later so
2: So that's definitely something we talk about um, on this show fairly frequently is like, (laughs) what do you, something we got into with uh, uh, Justin a few shows ago Mm -hmm. Um, was like, what's your new parent, you've got kids, what's appropriate to share about them or not because you're crafting their digital identity on their behalf Um, and uh, other concepts like that, but yeah, like you say, do you just blindly retweet something because it's interesting? Like, what if, um, you know, Robin Williams hadn't actually passed away, but 100 people tweeted that he had, and it becomes this huge story, and then what happens after that, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to take it back once it's out in digital space.
2: Yes, as several celebrities are learning yes. after having their iCloud accounts hacked. So
0: Yeah, that's a really... It's an interesting issue, but then I read, like, a a blog today that someone was like, you should not trust Apple with your pictures or any of your data because, you know, they have, like, a poor track record. But it goes without saying that you really should just be more mindful about what the hell is in the cloud. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's... like, obviously, you want to back up your pictures, but maybe, maybe we don't take those naked pictures right now during the podcast, you know, <laughs> at all. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. It, I mean, it is because those backups that that phone, that your phone is doing on your behalf is a form of security, too, right? Like, if you take your phone um, to the Genius Bar because you dropped it in a lake and nothing on it was backed up um you're going to be just as upset as if um you know it was backing up stuff on your behalf but your your account got hacked and and some data got out there um it's it's going i'm not trying to turn this into the apple show but um <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what they talk about next week because one of the big rumors is the um uh, that they're going to do a payment solution um using I don't know, some, some technology that's going to be in the new phone, right? Whether that's NFC or something like that. And it's going to be a big question, I think, for people who are looking at the phone and saying, well, if you can't keep my pictures safe, then uh, I may not want to use my phone to start paying for things. You know, I may not want to link my credit card directly with my phone and start you know, walking around swiping it on things or near things in order to pay for them.
0: That's a that's a big issue um, with uh, the school, too. And I just stepped on Colette saying that, basically. But, um, uh, you know, it was kind of something that uh, you and I experienced from afar uh, when we worked together, Paul, because um, when the whole entire office was Mac-based, it was like you, you can no longer just sort of, like, buy, like, 18 licenses to an application now everything has to go through the Mac store which makes it kind of hard for, yeah yeah for somebody running a business um because now everyone has to have their own account and the same thing is kind of um muddying up like using tablets in the school and that's why the Chromebooks are so bloody popular but I'll shut up and let Colette say that but, that, <laughs> but that's an issue with the tablets they have at the school
1: yeah i mean d- Part of it, I mean, and this is just me from experience talking, I don't have a lot of data behind this, but what I found with the iPad and tablet trend to begin with is a lot of principals or people who are in in charge of purchasing technology for a school would see their grandchildren or maybe their own children use an iPad and see how intuitive it was. And they were two years old and let's get these into kindergarten, but not a lot of thought necessarily went past that. And some of the you know technology implications and management around it um and so apple um, was a little bit um ahead of the game in this and they allowed licenses for one app for five devices and provided some software around how to manage a classroom set of ipads as long as you bought i think you had to buy an air mac air pro or something like that to do it Um, Tablets are, because these are all personal devices there, that's how they've been, you know, what they were invented for. It's meant to be yes. one person using yep. it. Yep. So when you have a tablet, um, it you know, with multiple users, it, you know, and you're talking up to maybe 30 to 40 different users on one tablet um, and you try to use an app, it has to be free. Otherwise, you have to download that app on each person's personal account, which becomes unreasonable in cost, you know, even for a classroom. You know, you might be paying yeah, like you yeah. know twenty bucks for each app. You know, you can only do that so long. So it presented some interesting challenges because then you get into the issue of advertising to students every time you use a free app.
2: Sure, yeah, and what's and what is relevant and okay, and um, you don't want to be. There's certainly some. Advertisements that you don't want them a getting distracted by, but b even seeing or touching, right? So
1: yeah, and it's you know how impatient we are with things too. Is often kids will click really fast to close, uh, you know, an ad, but in doing so, actually open the ad.
2: (laughs) Yeah, right. And
1: then you have those issues as well. So that's been a journey.
0: Yeah, and and of course android like every other sort of uh (coughs) software is like you know they they are (laughs) user friendly quote unquote too so when i go and help out in the classroom (laughs) um a lot of times colette is like hey can you make sure like all the tablets are charging and um can you you know just make sure there aren't any updates and so um Just the nature of the beast. Like she said, these are individual devices for individuals, but that's not how they're used in the classroom. So, you know, when I log in to each tablet, it then says, and when I click on the App Store to look for updates, it then says, hey, hey, welcome to, you know, the App Store. This is your first time because I've just logged in. And then it says, please input your credit card number. Right. And you can skip that screen, but it's just like,
1: you have to do it every time. You have to to do do it it every
2: every time. time Yeah.
0: Yeah. I have been researching. There are some things that you can use to manage multiple Android tablets. But again, it's like another purchase for the school on top of what they've already done. So I don't know that that will happen anytime in the future, especially in, in Colette's particular school. Again, it was sort of like a principal or like the school raised money. Mm-hmm. and they won a contest or something through Samsung is that what They
1: raised uh they recycled a whole bunch of electronics and uh as a result got a donation to use uh a bunch of money but they had to buy Samsung products.
0: Right. So so it wasn't exactly like a sponsored por- purchase by the school board. It was like sort of hey, we're going to get tablets.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So and the newest thing, I haven't actually problem solved this yet, but um, our district, uh, lots of people are now using Google Plus and accessing their um, Google account through their phone. Yeah. Their EPSB, the public school board account through their phone. And so it's become a bit of a security issue. So the district now has enabled the ability to wipe um phones that get lost and devices that get lost, but you have to have a password on it. So when Chris was voluntold the other day to come in and help, um, (laughs) I had him to, you know, check all the tablets and we had some restrictions on what we could do because of course we want to make it easy for students. So we just have the swipe screen lock. We have no password. So now we have to put a pass. We have to put a password on the tablet. Students already have to after that enter a password to access the wi-fi and then third if they want to do anything in the cloud they have to put a you know another username and password in so it's now (laughs) you know quite quite a few steps so you know kids in grade one and two are somewhat you know less likely to use it because of you know of all that
0: and and, you know in contrast to that like the chromebook it's like log in and you're ready to go (laughs) yeah it's like ridiculous
1: yeah, and you can have you can have multiple users on right. Uh, you're just logging
0: into a browser, essentially. Yeah. So it's just kind of funny, like it's the same
2: company, but.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, they weren't invented for that. That's the other issue, but. True.
2: Yeah, I, the tablet is kind of inherently a like you like you were saying the tablet is kind of inherently a personal device, and so to be sharing it among among multiple users um the operating system just isn't uh, uh, underneath the hood there's plenty of um there's plenty of technology there to make it a multi-user system um but apple so far hasn't done that because they want it to be super confu- consumer friendly and yeah. um they're not really gearing it f- towards that sort of institutional or multi-person shared usage so
0: it's a real I I feel like it's kind of a mess on the Android side, too, because we do have our tablet here at home um, is a multi-user tablet. But just it seems poorly implemented at this point. Um, yeah. I mean, that's from my um, can't leave things alone standpoint. I'm <laughs> uh, getting a face like actually right now. Colette hasn't even logged into the tablet because I recently did like a ROM update. <laughs> Again. Again. Yeah. And I basically, you lose the other user, like,
1: which is me. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> which is, there's plenty of ways like I've found to like back up data and user data, but then getting it back in there is like really messy and. It just doesn't seem worth it because you know. Uh, uh, same with Apple, I'm sure. But like, once you log into a device and log into the App Store, it's like, oh, these are your apps. You want us to put them on there, so it'll do it. It's just you yeah. lose like, your data, like your score and anything that's not in the cloud, high scores and that kind of stuff. So it's kind of annoying. And then recently, like with a with one of the latest Android updates, I think what they did was um, to save space on your device. Like um there's only one copy. It makes sense. Like that's how it works on most computers too when you have multi users, but there's only like one copy of the Gmail app now. And then there's two separate locations for the user data file. But in previous versions of Android there were actually you were actually downloading a second copy of the user so, Oh know, interesting.
2: And so <laughs> the application itself was user specific. Yeah, yeah, and so they've
0: changed that, but then so now it even makes like backing up like just one user kind of like what wh- where's my file now like
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I know that both I like you say it's a mess kind of on both sides, and I know that both companies are doing are trying to do a lot of stuff to try to figure out this use case because obviously they went for The 80% of the marketplace, which is people who are using these devices in their homes or carrying them in their briefcase, and it's their personal device. And now they're kind of looking at those other use cases, like 30 kids in a classroom, there's 30 iPads sitting charging on the wall, they're going to go pick them up, right? And so there's things like uh, MDM, which is mobile device management solutions, where the IT administrator can set up all of these iPads, Push the apps that are licensed to directly to the ipads they're not set up they're not personal devices anymore they're completely locked down and managed by the school right yeah um, but that you know that leads to its own complications of you need somebody around who can do all of that stuff and manage all of that stuff right so
1: yeah, and our problem with our tablets are is um android and and uh I think it's Samsung, but I'm not entirely sure. You know, everyone's moving forward with this, so they have new things that they're doing mm-hmm. um, going forward, but our, our tablets are from before they were going forward, so they <laughs> yeah. can't help us. So <laughs> yeah. unless if we would like to buy the new tablets that... Then you, know, you would
2: be able to get the new software and it would... Yeah, and yeah. they'd
1: support it and stuff. So we're kind of in this bit of uh, you know, a limbo situation, but we found a few uses for it, and I'm looking forward to... You know, finding a way to make them work this year.
2: Trying hard not to make an Android fragmentation joke, but <laughs> I won't make that joke. I'll just put that out there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we did a little road trip to Calgary so she could speak at that summit about these fun things. Nice. And we drove this road called the Crow's Nest Pass. Look, this just changed Crow's
1: into, Nest Highway. Oh, is that right? Okay. That went through the Crow's Nest Pass. Oh, see.
2: <laughs> Good naming. We Were they started. the same Crow's Nest?
1: <laughs> I think there's multiple Crow's Nests.
2: Ah, okay. It's
0: quite a windy road. Very. Yeah. We needed like a, a high-performance car to go through the windy road. Although it's probably not as cool as like some of those like Pacific Coast drives, but it was a nice drive.
1: From what we saw of it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I only saw half of it, really.
1: <laughs> and most of it was in the dark.
0: That's true. Yeah, that wasn't so much fun in the dark, all those curves. Yeah, we just slipped into the sexy back tour yep (laughs) nice podcast (laughs) yes we went to a wedding in vancouver and then
2: hauled
1: butt to calgary wow we hauled butt but we went the long way
2: yeah (laughs) (laughs) the long and windy way it sounds like the long and
1: windy way yeah
2: so it's been like super wedding season for you hasn't it chris
0: Oh yes, yes it has been super wedding And I was so excited, last weekend was sort of my last wedding event for the summer Which was just a party, uh, one of Colette's cousins got married in France this summer A destination wedding in Corsica Yes mm. We did not go to that, so no. there was a little <laughs> after party this summer <laughs> It looked beautiful, but yes
1: It's a very expensive destination
2: Yes I imagine, yeah. Yeah,
0: like ridiculous, I think. So, yes, so that was my last wedding event and my first one started there in Michigan uh with you and that my cousin got married in a ice arena on the ice. So, it was a wedding on ice and it was actually like in like national news coverage. Like it was on the ABC Morning show. <laughs> Good Morning
1: America, yeah.
0: Yeah. Guess, wow. Which, which is really like just terrible for me to try to explain to people here in Canada because like I went to the states to go to a
2: wedding in a hockey. That was <laughs> <No>.
0: <laughs> It doesn't even make sense.
2: Right. No, I I'm with you. Like Russia <laughs> that might make sense. <laughs> they're on the they're on the same page with amount of hockey.
0: yes so that was my uh big summer wedding adventures many many wedding adventures and then on the way let's see yeah on the way back from vancouver to calgary for her speaking engagement uh i had like a weird sensation in my face and my head and i was like that was weird and then like it happened again i was like huh anyway drive 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 and then uh, the next day, I went for breakfast, uh, and
1: we were in Nelson, BC.
0: Yeah, which was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I totally want a summer house there. <laughs> uh, it was just this cute little small town, and uh, we had breakfast at this place. And I had gotten a what kind of sausage was it? It was not memorable, but it was a weird sausage.
1: Buffalo, I don't maybe? pay attention don't know, to bison,
0: bison sausage. <laughs> With my breakfast.
2: And it, it wasn't was, vegan. I don't know. Yeah, not a fan it, sausage.
0: <laughs> it was not a fan. I did not eat any fans.
2: Okay. Good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so, yeah. And I it was getting stuck between my um, bottom lip and my teeth. And I was like, why is food getting caught down there? When did I become a gerbil? <laughs> And so, anyway, we drove for like another four or five hours and stopped at a crummy fast food place uh, in Creston, BC to get uh, something to eat. And again, food got caught. And I just looked at her and I said, Hey, am I smiling? And she said, She said, um,
1: What did I, I say?
0: You said, You said, uh, You said, I don't know. Are you, you said something like, I don't know. Are you, are you trying to smile? Or are you joking? And I was like, no, I'm totally serious. And she was like, you're, you're really smiling and do it again. And I did it. And I was like, did I have a stroke?
1: <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah. half his face was, uh, smiling and the other side was non-responsive. So, um, my mom had Bell's palsy about 10 years ago. So mm-hmm. part of me was fairly certain that's what it was because there was no other symptoms but we're in the middle of this mountain town on a Sunday night at about 5 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the afternoon Yeah. so you know not a place where you want to take those chances so I we uh, found the directions to the nearest hospital
0: which was great because the young 14 year old kid at the fast food restaurant was like hey just go down here like three blocks and then you turn left and it'll take you straight to the hospital and then we were getting ready to leave, and he came back, and he's like, "Oh, by the way, don't follow the signs to the hospital. That go the way I told you." <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it was like a, I don't know, like a three minute drive. So even if we had followed the signs, I'm sure it'd have only taken us an extra minute. Yeah, but he was very concerned.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it did turn out there was a terribly handsome doctor um, who uh, took care of me, and yeah, he just he said Bell's palsy was probably it. It's one of these sort of things that they uh, diagnose because they rule out everything else.
1: Well, Mm. to bring it back to technology is um, he pulled out his phone to do some of the um, follow-up, some of the questions that we had about it. He, uh, Yeah, he just pulled out his phone and did the research on his phone while we were talking to him. So that was kind of an interesting experience. I've never experienced that you know, with the doctor being so open about, yeah, I'll look it up for you. I'm not sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and then uh, a couple of days ago, I've gotten much of my left side of my face is uh, back in action, uh, but not 100 percent yet. And um, all of a sudden, uh, <clears throat> basically Bell's palsy, um, they don't really know what causes it, which is what I always hear from doctors because mm-hmm. I'm the lucky one. Um, but, uh, basically it shuts down a cluster of nerves behind your ear. So a couple of days ago I was just like, ow. And I started getting like these sharp, like, uh, pains in the back of my head, like behind my ear.
2: Ah, uh, yeah.
0: And I was like, whoa. And I, Colette is like, are you okay? Do you want to go in? I'm like, I th- think it's just because we're starting to work again and it's yeah. maybe angry <laughs> yeah yeah and so I read online and people had experienced this but it was typically like it started like when the Bell's palsy started so it seems weird that I'm on the upswing and it's happening now but whatever and so like after a couple of days she's like you sure you don't want to go in and then I get a call from her mother and she's like I'll take you in <laughs> and <I'm> like <laughs> I was like i have an appointment soon with the doctor it'll be fine it's not that bad but it's just sleeping is really hard so i mean i can work through it i can do a podcast through these little <laughs> pains they're like a five but when i'm just laying there doing absolutely nothing it's kind of annoying so anyway i just started saying that because i had called the alberta health link number um which is free to albertans and uh and they have a nurse or a doctor that'll answer the phone and that will help you out. Um, if it's not an emergency situation. And so I call her up and, uh, they say, um, tell them what's wrong. And she, so first of all, she's, does her due diligence, I think. And she's like, so I'm going to, um, health, health, Alberta, um, ca and i'm gonna look up bell's palsy and i was like <laughs> uh okay and so she's reading it to me and i was like yeah and she's like i don't see anything about pain that kind of worries me and i was like sitting at my computer and i was like yeah it's right under there <laughs> she's like oh you're there so she anyway she starts asking me a bunch of questions and then i said okay and she's like no just give me a second we're almost done with this and i was like oh okay and she's like i'm putting all this information into a form and i was like oh you are so she's like basically i'm putting all your symptoms into this computer program the software that we have here and then it will come up with a list and it'll tell me some things that we can try to help you with and I was like, really? The machine is going to diagnose me? And she's like, yeah, it's kind of a nifty piece of software. And I was like, I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's kind of something like back to education. Yeah. Um, it's kind of one of these things that uh, Colette and I talk about quite frequently is the fact that you you have a lot of wonderful parents out there like yourself, Paul, who are like, uh I don't like this damn new math business, like new math sucks. And they they start (laughs) complaining about, um, things that, uh, kids aren't learning like times tables and they aren't learning the way I used to learn and that kind of stuff. And, and Colette always tells me it's a new world. Like why would we spend, not necessarily why would we spend the time teaching children these things when they have the information at their fingertips, but, um, there is sort of that. A but balance. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a balance. And then Colette's thing is, like, you have to teach people to kind of, like we were talking about earlier, sort of, like, triangulate your sources and, like, is your source a good source?
1: And have more than one source, too. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. Like, we were at a soccer game um, the other day and they were playing against Fort Lauderdale and there was I think they were first year university students behind us and I was kinda of eavesdropping on their conversation and um but I thought it was really a snapshot of of the new world order so to speak. You know, they're like, oh this is from Flor they Fort Lauderdale. Where is that? Um I'm not sure. It's somewhere in the States. Is it Florida? <laughs> I'm not sure it's Florida. I think it might be Florida. And then someone goes, well, let's Google it, everyone. And the three of them got their phones out. And then they not only did they figure out where Fort Lauderdale was, and they figured it was near Miami, and they started reading stats on Fort Lauderdale, you know? Yeah, right. And and that's how, you know, people learn now. You know, the memorization of facts isn't necessary to the same extent it was before. Sure, sure. There's a certain baseline of facts that, you know general public should probably know but after that everything's at your fingertips it's really realizing is that information reliable and valid and credible and you know it's who's telling you why are they telling you kind of thing that you have to figure out so yeah
2: yeah, it's easy to – I'm sure all three of us have gotten stuck at some point in Wikipedia just like bouncing from <laughs> link, link to link because we had to look up one thing that we were curious about. And then you get you know, you know get into this Wikipedia rat hole of, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to click and learn about, more about that. And then three hours go, goes by and you realize that that wasn't billable time and you're actually still at work <laughs> and that's bad.
1: But as an educator, you know, I look at that that's what we want kids to do is find yeah. their inspiration and and go through it and, you know, if they're learning and, and they're exploring, you know, so what if it isn't really directly related to what started them there? So but that's hard for educators still yeah. to let go of and equally hard sometimes for parents who, you know, it's a different world than our generation grew up with, you know. So
2: Yeah, it's um It's all about – I mean it's an information economy now, right? I mean the the majority of the jobs um, of the future, as as I guess we will say, um, manual labor is going to be the first thing that gets automated or is being the first thing that's getting automated. And so those jobs aren't really going to be there, which means we need to be smarter – um, with our information, so that we can all be information workers until that gets automated, at least. <laughs> um, and ultimately, what that means is we need to teach. Uh, we need to teach children to learn how to learn and to mm-hmm. love learning, because that's going to guide them to the next thing. Right, yep. that's going to be interesting for them, and. I, the, the thing that is understandably tricky about that is it's very easy to test if somebody knows their ed- addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division because you can observe them doing it. But mm-hmm. it's probably a lot harder to test if they could learn or if they could teach themselves to do it by looking it up somewhere. Yeah. Um
1: and, and and you know what you know the new sort of focus too is not just learning but how are you going to share your learning so creating yeah and um, you know and again when you get into sort of some of those more nebulous um, creative aspects how do you sign that a mark especially when collaboration is yeah. again, something that you know in your job that you do a lot and as information goes we have um, you know being able to collaborate. I don't know many jobs that that's not a requirement for. Yeah. And uh, so, again, how do you give an individual a mark when it's a group project, after group project, after group project, after group project? Yeah. So that gets tricky and uh, for students, parents, and teachers.
2: Yeah, and those are such... Um you know, soft science kinds of, uh, kinds of topics at that point, you know, you're teaching, you're teaching social skills and politeness and how to be a leader and how to be a follower at the same time. And, uh, you know, collaboration is something that, um, generally isn't easy, even in the workplace where everybody is trying to be, hopefully trying to be a professional adult, let alone, you know, with, uh, Second and third graders.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was interesting. And I think it was, it wasn't a Google app summit. It was a bit before that. But a number of years ago, there was a speaker that came and was talking about technology in the classroom and and how the world is getting smaller. And he said the biggest skill he thought children needed to learn was empathy. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Mm- and I agree more and more and more. I see it. You know, we get behind Facebook. You know, I see some of the things that people put on Facebook and hide behind the wall of Facebook and and it's not a lot of empathy. <laughs>
2: yeah. And it's interesting to me how, I mean, for the most part, people on Facebook put their real names on it. So you're not, yeah. you're not yeah. even hiding behind a wall of anonymity like you are, yes. yeah. you know, when you're on YouTube um, commenting on you know something sillier or well i guess even youtube you have to throw out now right because google yep. plus is trying to push you towards using your google plus account and your real name on youtube too
1: yeah
0: yeah it is it's really interesting it's kind of like it's uh we were talking about that with justin as well but it's like you're uh you still have sort of a digital identity which isn't it isn't uh, much different than sort of uh regular everyday life not on the computer i mean uh when paul and i get together we sort of uh, geek out about star trek and uh you know um computer macs and phones and things like that but that's not the same relationship that i have with say like uh, a cousin of mine you know you, you sort of bond over these different things and so your digital identity is it's not much different than you, but sometimes it's quite shocking. Like there's a, a relative that we have who um, – there's a relative that uh, one of us has who is quite – actually, I both of us have relatives that are quite opinionated on Facebook, but, but,
2: but you don't – I think all three of us have relatives. <laughs>
0: but you don't know – Like the, I guess what I'm saying is uh, one of our other relatives – didn't know this about that person. Like the, these oh, are things that are shared, yeah. like at family events. So right. it's just like
1: it changes your perception of that person. Totally, yeah,
0: totally. Yeah, so it's it's kind of an interesting little thing. Like the Facebook sort of like this is my digital identity, and I'm uh, I really hate that uh, Barack Obama guy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's really interesting to see like someone post that who and, and that's one of those things where, you know, we sort of uh we are all
2: individuals and so it's I know. Where
1: are you going with this? Where am I going with that?
2: <laughs> nice. So uh so there's a uh a fairly smart guy. He's a professor. Uh I can't remember exactly where he's a professor out of, but it's one of the Uh, bigger schools. I think Ivy League schools. Uh, His name is Jeff Jarvis. I don't know if either of you have heard of him, Um, but he is, uh, he's a regular on the podcast uh, this week in Google. In fact, I think he's one of the hosts or still one of the hosts on that. Um, And he talks about this, like, how do you live your life in public or not necessarily life in public, but life in public on the internet. Right. Mm. Um, And He's got these different concepts of, you know, when you share, when you're sharing things on the internet, what are you, how, how private are, do you think that that really is? Like when you put it on Facebook, how private do you really think that is? Especially given that you have no idea with Facebook's filtering algorithm if they are really filtering that to your friends and family or once they, You know, if they comment on it, does it start to show up in their feed and then their friends start to see things that they're commenting on that are yours, you know? Um, But there's this concept, he has this concept of you have multiple publics, right? And so... Google plus is one of the unique, I think they have a really unique handle on how you have your circles and you Mm -hmm. can post things that are for your techie geek friends that your, um, you know, your general acquaintances um, who happen to follow you um, don't normally see Uh, and how you manage that uh, can get complicated and tricky um but the tools are starting to emerge that let you kind of determine okay well i'm you know fairly liberal and i don't want my you know fairly conservative family seeing these seeing some of these posts but i do want some of my friends who i know are already a little more liberal to see them right that kind of that kind of management it's just uh it's kind of um it's it's hard to know how we're going to get that privacy back now that we have started to let it let the cat out of the bag, right? Because i don't necessarily want my family, i don't a i don't really need to talk to my extended family about my political beliefs anyway because i'm not necessarily trying to evangelize them or mm-hmm. convert anybody, but at the same time i don't really want to see <laughs> another uh, thanks Obama graphic or blog post about ten things why they think he's a Kenyan on my feed either so um or why that should even really matter that much so anyway I'll stop rambling now because I'm doing the same thing that Chris was doing.
1: <laughs> well, I just I you know I I get. So- sucked into the trap of convenience over maybe thoughtfulness as far as data storage. Sometimes I think for the most part, um, you know, the, what I use it for, I'm not overly concerned. I don't have any sort of stuff that I usually um, have in the cloud or share, but I think in general um, people get sucked into convenience and um, the immediacy as well of both social media and cloud computing and handheld devices that I think um, it's sort of like the fast food diet in some ways. You know, it's sometimes hard to break once you've had a taste of it. So I think it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. If we do change, if we just get worse. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was, um, I was, I recently read a book that, um, was by (laughs) took me forever because it was nonfiction. Uh, but I recently read, um, net smart by Howard Reingold, who, um, was actually suggested in Justin's Twitter feed. Um, and I believe that, uh, Mr. Uh, Reingold sort of, uh, mentored, uh, Justin. So, uh, Anyway, I was reading his book, and it's a it's it 's an all right book, but uh what he was saying is that you know there are some i think he said there are some studies where you know you people do get a similar sort of uh dopamine injection into their bloodstream when you get like an email and so yeah, yeah. They, there's that study. And so they're saying that kind of um, dopamine rush is now obviously must be present in like um, status updates in Facebook and Twitter. And so he's like, you're getting your little dopamine drip like when you, <laughs> yeah, when yeah. you post or when someone posts to you. and Ooh, piece of, was, Ooh yeah. piece of candy. Exactly. Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. So I thought it was quite interesting.
1: Sorry, totally off topic, but I just decided to sign into Twitter while you were doing it oh, yeah. to add um, <laughs> to add Jeff Jarvis. And I uh, hadn't checked uh, my notifications for a while and I see that my father has joined Twitter. So I thought I will see who he, the one person he is following and he is following. The only thing he's following is Montreal sauce.
2: Wow.
0: Yeah, he hasn't up- updated or anything like uh
1: he has no other activity.
0: Nope. The, the, <laughs> the uh, sauce bot t- told me that uh, when I, um, yeah, I saw that he had started following Montreal sauce. I thought that was We funny. are
2: tweeting directly to you. Yes. yes.
0: <laughs> I was like, man, when we're having like a responsible adult show about education, I can't drop any F-bombs. Because <laughs> I'm sure that's why he fanned us.
2: Yes, has Followed to be us,
0: whatever. Your dad is officially a sausage. <sighs> <laughs> That's the face <laughs> that we need the video podcast for. Ah. Yeah. Cool. I deleted all my notes. Good for me.
2: Well done. You're you're a master of technology. <laughs> I think
1: it's called undo.
0: That's what I did to delete everything. Actually. <laughs>
1: Redo? command z command Z.
2: <laughs> I, I command shift z z oh yes
0: canadian
2: z oh yeah <laughs> someone said that to me why is canadian. that why why the difference
1: uh, you'd have to ask an american cuz z came first
2: Whoa. that's true that's true
1: so i'm not they sure they say
2: z in uh in england where yeah. i believe english was invented
1: i i've heard that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I'm not sure where the 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 Z originated from, but uh,
0: inquiring minds want to know. Google it. I was just gonna say, oh, Master. I was gonna ask Master Mar- Aramil in the uh, in the chat room to Google that for us, but he instead added that his favorite band is Z
2: Z Top. Nice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well played, sir.
2: Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> yes. Ooh
1: actually it's the, you know the Americanization of sort of uh, of some of the Canadian stuff as most children will say um z i
0: when i'm really when i yeah when I first moved here, i remember um <laughs> it was what was really interesting to me was not i mean sure I was interested in these little tiny language differences and even blogged about them, but what really struck me was um commercials on tv because when i moved here that was when blackberry was like hey everybody (laughs) we're totally gonna compete with the iphone hey hey like we have a cool phone Mm -hmm. and it's called the z10 and i was like um no i've seen the advertisements in michigan it's called the z10 Oh my gosh! They have to record different audio for both countries. I was like, "That is crazy to me." Yeah, yeah. This is like a commercial that's like totally playing, like probably on a network that's in both countries, and yet they have to make different audio track just because they say Z. I was like, "Let's just
2: call it Z and call it a day and save ten grand
0: (laughs) on recording."
2: Well, but the problem is. Zed was the original, right? So you don't want to lose your heritage. And yeah. then uh and then we of course are Americans and we still use we still use feet and pounds and miles for crying out loud. So <laughs> uh good luck uh getting us to switch to say Zed.
1: Yeah, yeah well we're bilingual in Canada. We speak both uh, metric and Imperial.
0: Yeah, I remember uh that was kind of a shock to me too because I was like I was like, man like metric is supposedly so easy, but my brain is totally imperial. (laughs) It's not easy. And it's, so it fascinates me that like, they're just like using it like at the same time, like in the seventies when I was a child, when the U S said, okay, we're totally switching to metric and it didn't happen for three weeks. Yeah. It actually happened here. So I'm like, that's amazing. And then like, I'm like, oh, these people are awesome. They can do both. And then all of a sudden I start meeting people of different generations and it's not the case. Like, I think like Colette's parents, like all their, um, like their thermostat and their house and everything, it's all like, you know, Imperial. (laughs) Like So, so, I mean, I guess that's a different generation, but it is kind of funny. Like I never know what to say in conversation when people are like, "So what's the what are the the weather like in Michigan? Is it like what's the average temperature?" I never know if I should answer in Fahrenheit or <laughs> or Celsius like cuz I'm going to get it wrong.
2: There's I, I won't get too deep into it, but there's uh I've heard the argument that Fahrenheit feels like it makes more sense um in terms of like bodily comfort. Where, uh, but obviously, this was these, these were Americans who were talking about <laughs> how it makes more sense to them. But I think it's just because it's a wider range, right? So, like, mm-hmm. 30 degrees in Fahrenheit is like, it's, it's damn cold outside. And 70 degrees is like, ah, oh, it's fairly comfortable outside. And 90 degrees is like, okay, it's really hot outside. I'd rather be in air, air conditioning. And that range is so much more compressed in um, Celsius where it's like, okay, zero to 10 is cold, 10 to 20 is you're getting comfortable, you probably need a jacket, Um, and then 20 to 30 is like, no, actually you're getting pretty warm. But those comfortable degrees are like two degrees where it's like, okay, I can wear a t-shirt and shorts outside, it's going to be all right, but I'm not going to be roasting, right? Right.
0: Yeah, I think there's like a little. I'm sure there's a million of them, but I think <laughs> it's like a, a web comic that sort of like does the same thing. Where I think it was, it does um, Celsius, Kelvin, and uh, mm-hmm. Fahrenheit, and I think it. One of them, I think it, uh, I'm gonna like say the wrong one now because, but it just basically it said what you said. You know, it was like zero on this scale is you're dead and zero on this. <laughs> uh, like this end of the scale, you're dead, and this end of the scale, you're dead, and the numbers make sense. like
1: Right. So
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and so now we have to give Master Aramil a producer credit because he did look it up for us. But it doesn't right,
1: really answer the question.
0: No, I get it. I kind of get it. According to the concise Oxford companion, he wrote, the modification of Z to Z appears to have been by analogy.
2: With like B D v
1: oh, so like it,
2: the letters like uh, so it was to make it more consistent with the other right,
1: other double E
2: yes,
0: yeah.
1: hmm, but we spell it Z <laughs> <laughs> not z we don't spell it that way, so it doesn't need to sound like wait, wait B
0: wait, this is my um Bruce Willis impression Zed's dead, baby Zed's dead. <laughs> See, that's totally different than my normal voice.
2: Nice. It is. <laughs> I could hear it. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I think what he's saying is they, they changed it to ZEE specifically because it was the only one that was like Ed instead of E.
1: Hmm.
0: Right, and we like, we like consistency in the states. We love it.: Yeah.: <laughs>
1: I get the consistency part now. The, the teacher didn't get it before.: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, we love consistency.: um, <clears throat> <laughs> Oh, so I, I was going to say, uh, Celsius makes so much more sense from a scientific, from like science standpoint though. There's so many things about the metric system that make way, way, way more sense if you're actually scientifically measuring things (laughs) instead of just like arbitrarily naming a distance to work or, (laughs) you know,
0: I have to tell you though, um, it's, it's difficult in Canada in general online because like, I've never realized like just how prevalent, The Internet is with, like, U.S.-related things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Obviously, I don't um, read other languages, so I don't frequent a lot of pages in other languages. But um, just being a house husband to my lovely wife here, uh, it's really interesting to, like, look up recipes and stuff and so and i'll just find like a recipe that sounds good and decide to make it or even using a cookbook that she owns and it's like so all the ingredients are in metric and then there's like one that's like a cup (laughs) (laughs) it's been really confusing in our kitchen is what i'm trying to say because half of my recipes say oh just add an ounce of this and the other half of them say like oh that's 50
2: milliliters
0: like what
1: (laughs) (laughs) canadians are bilingual yeah
2: they're
0: totally bilingual
2: so you have to have both sets of measuring uh measuring spoons and cups and things like that so that or are they just they're just demarcated so that you can use the same one but you just know to fill it to a certain line to for metric and the other line for
1: yeah like a tablespoon like they'll tell you how many milliliters it is on it it's like sure. i think it's like 59 or something like that it's not quite yeah. it's the 60 that might come in a different recipe
0: yeah and i would challenge you uh to visit your own kitchen ball because i do believe most of the like glass measuring cups and those kind of things do. Art do you have the A lot of
2: them do. Yeah. yeah so, a lot of them so do.
0: You just haven't noticed them because you've never need them in your entire life. <laughs>
2: right. Right. Well, and I I do know that all of our um all of our like medicine droppers that we use for the girls uh, have both like one side will have teaspoons and the other side will have milliliters on it. And most medications are distributed in, in milliliters. Cause again, that's like a scientific thing. <laughs> so they're Science. using the scientific measurement. Sweet. Yeah.
0: So uh, normally when we have a pause, I do like a, a random quiz you're, you're, oh, look at that face. Oh, I wish I had a quiz. I'm just going to make one up and ask you and Paul how many teeth I have. Um, <laughs> oh, you can cheat. Uh, no, I was going to say instead of a random quiz, I thought it would be a good time to introduce our sponsor. So this week we have a sponsor, and the sponsor is Montreal Sauce. What? <laughs> So for our our fans, I mean sausages, um, we're going to have a T-shirt. So uh, here's the deal. It's like a really gorgeous T-shirt from a website called CottonBureau.com. And what these folks do is they actually do screen printing T-shirts. None of this like inkjet uh, laser printer transfer (laughs) (laughs) iron-on stuff. So it's they just
2: like, send you the. They just yeah. send you the iron-on <laughs> right. transfer. Like, just put this on your thing.
0: Yeah, get this hot. Oh, you live in Canada?
2: <laughs> Take that was twenty-five dollars.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, the other thing is, is, Cotton Bureau is kind of very similar, thanks to uh, Go Nocturnal, who suggested that. Um, but uh, there are sort of like many of the. Um, kickstarter websites and things so the deal is is we actually have to uh have at least 12 people interested before they will print the shirt so um we definitely need people to be interested and check it out dad if we sell more than 25 full disclosure if we sell more than 25 shirts we will actually um make some money uh, which is good because uh, Paul has, uh, you know, invested in equipment and uh, he pays for the site to host the website and uh, all the old shows, the back catalog, and I just got new equipment so that I could have a guest here in the room frowning at me. <laughs> and so so uh, it would be great if we sold that many. Um, but we have to at least sell 12. And I'm letting you know now because um, – This show might come out next week if uh, you're not listening live. And as far as I can tell, I'm told that um, we are in line to be um, posted on the CottonBureau.com site by next Thursday. We should be up. So definitely check it out if you want a shirt. And uh, if you want to know for sure when it comes out, you know you should totally follow that uh, Montreal Sauce uh, Twitter account, which is just all one word: Montreal Sauce. Yeah,
2: and Don't- assuming it is out, I'll try to uh, I'll try to add a little post addendum at the end of the show or something to uh, to mention where people can find it too.
0: Yeah, cool. But I just thought I would uh, share that.
2: Uh, yeah. Hey, this is Paul, and uh, that was this week's episode of Montreal Sauce. Uh, but as promised, the Montreal Sauce wearable. Uh, a.k.a. T-shirt, did indeed get approved and showed up on the Cotton Bureau. So if you go to CottonBureau.com, and I'll leave it to you to remember slash look up how to spell Bureau, uh, you can find the shirt. Uh, It's right on the front page. Uh, It's like the sixth or seventh one down. Or you can also go to MontrealSauce.com and uh, click the link there in the show notes. Uh, and that will get you to Montreal Sauce, the wearable. Um, I'm Paul D on Twitter. Uh, my co-host, as always, uh, is Mr. Chris Sickinga, Sick Days S i k k d a y s on Twitter, uh, and that is also uh, the .dot com for his blog. Uh, and uh, we were joined this week by his lovely wife, Colette. who is uh, Sunday Ideas on Twitter. S-U-N-D-A-Y-I-D-E-A-S. How do you like that? Boom. We'll see you next week. Bye.